Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to gather together and worship like this, and now for the privilege to look into your word to see what you have to teach us when it comes to overcoming the world. Lead us by your Holy Spirit, I ask, to this, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was extremely shocking news back in 2017 to learn that team doctor and athletic trainer at Michigan State University was being charged with sexually abusing 150 female athletes, most of whom were gymnasts. After a lengthy trial, Dr. Larry Nassar was found guilty and sentenced to 175 years uh, in prison. And in the court proceedings, they actually had to extend the pre-sentencing guidelines, uh, that phase, for a number of days so that all of the uh, victims who wanted to could read their impact statements to the court where they could directly speak to the perpetrator about what had been done to them and taken from them. And all of these statements were gut-wrenching. Many were filled with anger and resentments as tears flowed uh, throughout this portion of the court proceeding. As each of these women spoke about what had happened to them, a growing awareness of this doctor's evil practices permeated and overwhelmed the courtroom. The last impact statement was read on January 24th, 2018 by a young woman, a Christian young woman, formerly a gymnast, now a wife and mother named Rachel Den Hollander. She happened to be the first athlete to come forward and raise these concerns about uh, Dr. Nassar and his egregious assaults. And that's what began the investigation in the first place that would lead to this conviction. So it seemed fitting that she would be the one who would have the final say. In a 6,000-word statement spoken directly to Dr. Nassar, Rachel determined to turn this terrible evil into something good. She said, throughout this process, I have clung to a quote by C.S. Lewis, where he said, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how did I get this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he first has some idea of straight. What was I comparing the universe to when I called it unjust? Larry, I can call what you did evil and wicked because it was. And I know it was evil and wicked because the straight line exists. The straight line does not exist based upon your perception or anyone else's perception. And this means that I can speak the truth about my abuse without minimization or mitigation. And I can call it evil because I know what good is. And this is why I pity you. Because when a person loses the ability to define good and evil, when they cannot define evil then they can no longer enjoy uh, and define what is truly good. Talk about poise and grace under painful and circumstances. This, my friends, is an example of overcoming the world with righteousness. Or as we're going to mention over and over again in the sermon, the synonym of righteousness, overcoming the world with good. And I must say that Rachel's impact statement was a lot like Joseph's to his brother's in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, where after 14 years of slavery, which included years of languishing in a prison for a crime that he did not commit, and then after nearly seven years of being second in command in all of Egypt, 
He finally gets the opportunity to confront his brothers, to give his impact statement. And the perpetrators who had gotten away with this and their crime and lies for over two decades now, and they knew at that moment that they were in serious trouble. But what did Joseph say to them? He said, yeah, you intended this for evil, but God intended it for good to bring about the present result the saving of many lives. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, it tells us that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his plans. For those God uh, foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See, God's plan for us is to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, whom when he hung on the cross and faced all of the fury of the cross, all of its humiliation and shame and ridicule, he cried out to God, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How does a person overcome evil with good? In the way Joseph, Jesus, and modern-day example, Rachel Den Hollander did. How do we keep ourselves from succumbing to anger, to succumbing to bitterness and grief and the desire for revenge? And how do we keep our hearts uh, from storing up the remains of evil that have been done to us or done to those whom we love? The Word of God tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, that we are to put in place the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because darkness can only be driven out by the light, meaning God's righteousness, God's goodness revealed in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 5, In verses 8 and 9, it reads as follows. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Righteousness is the goodness of God lived out in our lives. That's why we're told in verse 14, when we're told to put on the full armor of God in Ephesians 6, to stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, last week we learned that the first part of a Roman soldier's attire was the belt. And for the Christian, that's the belt of truth, which the breastplate then attaches to, which keeps it in place. We start with the truth and then righteousness is held in place by the truth. And righteousness, we know from God's word, is imputed, which means it's given to us. And then we also live out of or act out of that righteousness. It's imputed, meaning that we're in a right relationship with God. Uh, Our sins have been acquitted. Uh, Our wrongdoing by Jesus has been taken away from us. And we have been proven right. We've been set free in the courtroom of life where the penalty for sin is the death sentence. It's death. But righteousness especially as discussed here in the Greek language that's used the word dikaiosunes, carries with it this notion of uprightness. Now in Christ Jesus, we have this uprightness. We can live out of this righteousness of God that's been given to us in Christ Jesus by doing acts of faith, by charity, by goodness, by walking in that truth. And the breastplate was common for a Roman soldier uh, to use. And it was a piece of armor that was basically made from leather. It was uh, dried, molded, reinforced leather, often very thick and pliable when it was wet. But when they molded it and dried it, it became uh, very hard. And officers and government leaders 
would have their breastplates covered additionally with metal for extra protection. And for the soldier, this piece of armor was vital because it covered their organs, giving them a fighting chance in battle. And the apostle Paul here is using the breastplate analogy as a metaphor for protecting our hearts, which in the Old Testament Hebrew, uh, they believed represented the mind and the will of a person. Proverbs 4.23 is an example of that. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Watch over your heart. Protect your heart. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And everything you are and everything you do in life is a reflection of your heart. So we stand against the schemes of the devil. We stand against all of the devil's cohorts with the breastplate of righteousness in place, protecting our hearts. Now, I want to talk for a few minutes, uh, in, in a few minutes, about the overcomers of this world's righteousness. But to do so, we must talk for a couple of minutes about the unrighteous state of all human beings apart from Christ, as we just heard in our scripture reading, Romans chapter 3, 10 through 12, that there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Just nine verses later, it's going to say in verse 21 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's going to say in three chapters later that the penalty for sin is death. That's it. It looks bleak. It's bad. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or as our other verse in our scripture reading this morning said, that God made him who knew no sin, from 2 Corinthians 5.21, to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he took our identity as a sinner, so that when we believe in him, we take his identity as the righteous son of God. And in this transaction, God not only forgives our sin, but gives us his righteousness as well. We receive this righteousness in the moment that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of our sin, and ask for God's forgiveness. You know, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, former president of Moody Bible Institute, shares the following illustration of how we encounter the righteousness of God in our life. He says, imagine a book entitled The Life and Times of Jesus Christ. It contains all the perfections of Christ, the works he did, his holy obedience, his purity, his right motives, a beautiful book indeed. Then imagine another book, The Life and Times of, and you insert your name. I'll put Daryl Nelson in there. It contains each one of our sins, all of our immorality, all of our broken promises, all of our betrayal of our friends. It would contain our sinful thoughts, our mixed motives, and our acts of disobedience. Now finally, imagine that Christ is taking both books and he stripped them of their covers. Then he takes the contents of his own book and he puts it between the covers of your book and my book. We pick the book up now and examine it. And the title again reads, The Life and Times, and we put our name in. You put your name in. I put it in Daryl Nelson. And when we open the book and we turn the pages, there are no sins to find. They're not listed there anymore. All that we see are long lists of perfections and obedience and moral purity and perfect love. And this book is so beautiful that even God adores it and likes it. See, having received the righteousness of Christ by grace through faith, we can now put his righteousness in our lives into practice. And how exactly does the righteousness of Christ get lived out in our lives so that we can actually overcome the world? 
Well, let me invite you to look at Romans chapter uh, 12 for a moment. Romans chapter 12, and I want to look at verses uh, 17 through 21. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. First thing we learn there is that we're to leave vengeance to God. That's what the beginning of verse 17 says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And verses 19 and 20 say that, you know. It says there, uh, do not take revenge, my dear friend, but leave room for God's wrath as it is written. It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And on the contrary, it tells us what we should do. If someone's hungry, we should feed them. If they're thirsty, we should give them something to drink. And in doing that, we actually... Uh, heat burning coals on their head. We actually bring shame to their life in doing the right thing. Well, have you ever observed how we think or how we act when we've been offended? We sometimes want to get even. We want to settle the score. We want the offender to hurt just like we are hurting or just like our family is hurting at that moment. And sometimes people will overtly and sarcastically say out loud what they're thinking, like, I don't get even. I escalate. And the translation to that is, you mess with me, and it's going to get a lot worse for you along the way in doing this. The classic example of this is a man named Nick Stafford from Cedar Bluff, Virginia, who was so irritated by the runaround that he got with the delays in experiencing a, a transferring a title uh, with his estate uh, DMV, and he was just trying to get it transferred into his name. And he wanted to be able to finish it out all online. Uh, but when it came time to pay the registration fee and the sales tax, he was so tired of the runaround that he showed up at his local DMV with five wheelbarrows loaded with 300,000 pennies. His rationale? If they're going to inconvenience me, then I am going to inconvenience them. Likewise, in 1991, in a baseball game between the Chicago Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds, Cubs outfielder and home run slugger uh, uh, Andre Dawson strongly objected to the umpire Joe West's call on a third, you know, third call strike. You're out of there! And so he protested the call, and he got into West's face, and he actually bumped his chest protector. Dawson said that that was uh, accidental, but nonetheless, he was ejected. You're out of here and kicked out of the game, and he was fined $1,000. So when he paid the fine, in order to get the last word on the matter, he let the public know that on the footnote of the check he wrote, donation for the blind. There's lots of ways this gets played out, isn't it? But you know, whenever we take vengeance on someone else, we are taking the role of God, because the Bible is very clear on this in both the Old and New Testaments. Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Listen to what it says in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. It says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. 
Now listen to what it says about Jesus. To this, verse 21 says, you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He didn't do anything wrong. And yet he still was treated unfairly and unjustly. And look at verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. We wear the breastplate of righteousness when we leave vengeance to God. We know that God will take care of it. Jesus is our example, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Now, the second thing I want to point out to you from Romans chapter 12 and verse uh, 17 through 21 is the second part of this verse. It says, be careful in verse 17 to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And this phrase here, to be careful, uh, means to perceive in advance, that we actually think ahead in advance. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we actually recognize that we're going into situations of conflict. You know, the soldiers didn't wear their armor when they were at home relaxing. They put it on when they knew they were going into situations of conflict. And so we have our breastplate of, you know, of, of righteousness on because we're heading into situations of conflict. In other words, we should know in advance what we should do. This means that we pray about those things. This means that we look to God's word for direction on how we're to react when we're out there in the world or we're out there in challenging times. This means we seek godly counsel from wise Christians and that we consider wise strategies uh, for working in the midst of the difficulties that we might be facing. Here's what 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Don't, don't act in like or kind like everybody else. Do what's good, even if you are treated unfairly. And the truth be told, the approach many Christians use to evils, affronts, and unjust encounters is to be reactive. You know, however, the inspired word of God here is calling us instead to think ahead so that we can be proactive instead of reactive. I tell people to break out of this reactive game of conflict volleyball all the time. It's hardly a week goes by where I am not advising somebody that they got to stay away from all those kinds of knee-jerk reactions. If something happens to you, don't lob a shot back over the bow at someone else. Stop this nonsense. Instead, think ahead so that you will be ready to do the right thing instead of just reacting to the latest thing that's happened to you. You know, the military trains regularly for conflict with the hopes that it will never happen. But if it does, they will know how to react. And you know, when people are in the reactionary mode, you will often hear them say things like this, they do this to me every time. Or he really gets under my skin. Or she makes me so mad. And the truth is, no one or no thing can make you upset. We do that to ourselves. Our task is to think ahead so that we can do better the next time when we face similar events or similar people so that we can learn not to take the bait, that we can learn, as Romans 12 says, to be careful. Now, the third thing I want you to notice here in this passage is verse 18 in Romans 12. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live peaceably. And it actually is related to verse 17, which tells us to do what is right. 
to do the next good thing. See, when Rachel Den Hollander encountered abuse, she spoke up, she stepped out, and she called it what it was, the crooked line of evil, but said there is and there was a better way. There's a straight line. And that's what verse 18 is saying. It's saying, if possible. Other translations would translate this, as much as depends upon you. We have this responsibility to do good and create peaceful, life-giving conditions wherever we are. That's the righteousness of God in us. That's what we're to do. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. To be holy means to be set apart. If we're acting like everybody else in the world, if we're just reactionary, we're, we're not making an impact in this world at all. We're like everybody else. That's not holy. That's not set apart. That's not being separate because it says without holiness, look at that, no one will see the Lord. If we act like everybody else in the world, when we experience bad things, unjust things, you know, Rachel Den Hollander would have never been heard of if she would have acted like everybody else in the terrible circumstances she was in. But she didn't. She was set apart and distinct. And because of that, people know her name. But more importantly, they know the name of the Lord. Now, there's truly a rapidly accelerating trend toward angry conflict in our nation. Political rivalry has become political hatred. Opponents spray vitriol and animosity at each other like their opponents are nothing more than imbeciles. Sitcoms, comedians, and even broadcasters insult and slander and belittle those who do not share their particular views. Our schools have become places of intolerance and hatred toward perspectives and people who see the world differently, and often that's Christian people. In our colleges and universities, lectures from professors and guests who do not spew all the politically correct jargon of the day are regularly censored, disciplined, shouted down, boycotted, and harassed even on their own private property at their homes to the point where many of them just up and quit their jobs. And here is something you need to hear. Responding to one act of evil with another merely escalates evil. You want to know what's going on in our culture? Evil is being responded to with one other act of evil, and evil is escalating. This is exactly what we see happening every day in our society. And even one of our major newscast outlets this very week, their anchors actually swore after the presidential debate on Tuesday night. And of course, the network bleeped that out. But I have to tell you, I appreciate what a former government official, Ari Fleischer, had to say. He mentioned that that anchor swearing wasn't appropriate either. That was not acceptable behavior. And here's what he said. We do not raise the level of discourse in America by lowering ourselves to that standard. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says it well. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with un insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. People who put on the breastplate of righteousness they live peaceably. That's what they do. And they keep on doing good. You saw verses 20 and 21 earlier in Romans 12. But again, a reminder, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
You know, when we genuinely love our enemies, we want to meet their needs. And when we do that, we shame them by doing what's right in those circumstances instead of by returning evil for evil. Do you remember in the Old Testament when uh, Saul was chasing David and his, his, his fellow uh, supporters all over the wilderness? And they were in the Engedi wilderness at that time. And uh, David and his men are hiding out in a cave. And then Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. No porta-potties or no biffy and a jiffies back then. So he goes into a cave to relieve himself. David recognizes who it is, crawls up, could have taken his life, but he doesn't. He cuts off a piece of his cloak, his garment. And then Saul, of course, leaves the cave. And then David comes out to the throat of the cave and calls upon Saul and his soldiers that are all out there. And we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 10, where it says, here's what David said. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. Saul's probably looking at his robe, checking, oh yeah, there's a chunk of my robe missing. See, my father, look at this piece. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of the wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. And uh, may the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. And then verse 16, when David finished saying this, Saul asked him, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me how the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you have treated me today. Someone has wisely said, the enemy has overcome us when he makes us like himself. To return evil for evil is to mirror Satan. To adopt the methods of your enemy is to become an enemy yourself. Righteousness is the goodness of God lived out in our lives. And that is how we overcome the world. It is so true. Darkness can only be driven out by the light. You know, the famous Lewis and Clark expedition to find passage to the Northwest, uh, which at the time was the equivalent to our nation trying to land an astronaut on the moon in the 1960s. Well, this expedition was attempting this gigantic journey to try to map out a course to the Pacific Ocean. And it was actually saved in 1805 when an act of goodness overcame some people's evil intent. See, the expedition had spent a starving and freezing winter in the Bitterroot Mountains of Idaho. And as they finally were able to leave the mountains, they happened upon a large camp of Ness Pierce Indians. And they were hoping to find some help. They needed some food and some warm shelter. However, a large number of the indigenous peoples there wanted to kill these expedition members and take their goods, take their rifles, their ammunition, their tools, and their hardware. But an aged, dying woman in the camp saved them from annihilation in their weakened state. You see, as a young girl, this woman had been captured by another Native American tribe to the east. 
and then sold to another tribe further east. And she eventually escaped and ended up in the care of some Canadians who sustained her until she could make her way safely back many, many, many years later to her Nez Perce people. And for years, she told her tribe about the light-skinned people living toward the rising sun, meaning toward the east, who took care of her. So when the light-skinned, famished, exhausted people from the Lewis and Clark expedition stumbled into their camp, she intervened, saying, these are the people who helped me. Do them no hurt. See, one act of goodness by these Canadians who cared for this young Nez Pierce girl prevented needless bloodshed many, many, many decades later. And I'm quite certain that these Canadians who helped this young girl had no idea of the chain of events that their good deeds would create. They didn't project into the future. They just did the right thing at the moment. Likewise, we don't know what the future holds. In fact, I know a lot of Christians that seem to be terrified about what the future holds, and we can't possibly know it all anyway, but we do know what is the right thing to do now. Righteousness is the goodness of God lived out in our lives. It is the light driving out the darkness, and the Bible says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, even if that means you will never know the good that will come out of your life's actions. Make sure that your breastplate of righteousness is in place. Would you pray with me? God, our Father, today as we're talking about ways to overcome the world, we're living in the midst of a culture that is uh, uh, spewing so much hatred right now all on all fronts. And in fact, when uh, national news outlets can say just uh, incredulous things and, and horrific things about anybody and anyone. Uh, it's, it's troubling. And when people are at odds with each other, I mean, to the point where they're wishing one another to be gone and expired, we know, God, that that's nothing but uh, lies from the devil, from the evil one, the schemes of the evil one, as we're hearing. And God, this is a spiritual battle that's waging in this world. But God, you tell us to stand firm, uh, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We're to stand firm then by putting on the belt of truth and making sure that the breastplate of righteousness is in place. We don't respond in kind. We respond in love toward our enemies. We act out of the righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus, completely different than the way the world does, being holy and set apart in this world so that people may see the Lord. Oh, I pray to that end, God, right now. I pray that the church can be the bold witness for Jesus Christ it needs to be because it's loving, gracious, kind, and it does the right thing even when everyone else around us is not doing the right thing. We pray this now in Jesus' name.